Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by the Reverend Dr. Bill Hess. Good morning. It's great to be back here with you at uh, Paoli Presbyterian Church. For those of you on site or those online, uh, it's been a joy being here. I, I want to take a quick moment to thank your staff. I did uh, conduct the funeral service for Clarence and Joan Reed this week, and Amy in the office, and Howard, and Karen and Bruce, and just everybody makes things work so well. Uh, and thank you very, very much as you... Uh, live in this time where there's a search for a senior pastor and Jonathan's off on sabbatical. You need to know you have wonderful people here that are running the ship and running it very well. So thank you. Thank you. And happy Father's Day. It's a, I was with you a Mother's Day and here's Father's Day. And I have a, a couple things. You know, they, guys, family is important. Uh, women seem to know this before men do. I don't know exactly why, uh, but, but we finally sometimes catch on. Michael J. Fox, I, I've uh, loved following his battle with Parkinson's. Michael J. Fox wrote, family is not an important thing, it's everything. And what a great joy it is in our life, dads, to sometimes come apart and know that. John Wooden, a great basketball coach, he said, the most important thing in the world is family. And so today... Both Mother's Day and Father's Day put together, family's important. And if you come from a family that's been dysfunctional, we all need to know how important the church family is. The people find here that unconditional love and caring and brothers and sisters uh, filled with joy. And so we celebrate that today. And uh, my dad is no longer with us, as I'm sure many of you, uh, your father's uh, off in heaven. And we look forward to a day of a reunion but uh, my dad served in World War II. He was 18 years old, shipped off to the Pacific. He ended up being a, a medic in the Philippines. Uh, I have this scar up here that's, uh, you know, back when I was kids, we didn't have Nerf stuff. We, we played with rocks. And uh, one of those rocks, you know, hit me here, and I should have gone to a doctor and had stitches. My, but my dad was a medic. So some of you know what a butterfly patch is. Well... This is what happens after a butterfly patch. All my pictures, I try to hide this scar up here. Uh, but I remember my dad, and I remember those who have served. And I thought this quote was appropriate this morning from Rudyard Kipling. I think Rudyard Kipling knew what he was doing when he wrote, All we have of freedom, all we use or know, this our fathers bought us long, long ago. And so, happy Father's Day. To all the dads here, hope you have a great day. And for the dads who are no longer with us, we look forward to that glad heavenly reunion. So last week I mentioned, someone asked me, uh, what are we doing next week? I said, the book of Revelation. And you know, the eyes went up right away. <laughs> the, the, the book of Revelation. And I hope if, uh, if anything happens after our journey through this today, I hope you have a vision. You want to go read that book again. Say, I, I think I need to read that again and read it the right way. So from Revelation chapter 7, I'm going to be reading uh, verse 9 through 17, a scene uh, that John has a vision of that has always been very important to me. After this, I looked, 
And there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried, cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within the temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May the Lord bless to our understanding this reading of the Holy Word. Well, the book of Revelation is an excellent example of first century apocalyptic writing. It's a literary genre that includes visions and images and secret codes. Many of the images are frightening. And pastors throughout the centuries have used those images to frighten people, to try to motivate them with fear. Uh, one such image, I, I picked out one, a rendering of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So uh, we're not going to leave that up there real long because we're not going that direction today. <laughs> but they are there, these frightening images. Uh, I studied with Dr. Bruce Manning Metzger at Princeton. I had been ordained and, and uh, had my master's of divinity degree. I went down to Princeton on my day off for three years just to study with Dr. Metzger, the preeminent New Testament scholar. He's translated the, all the ancient parchments in the Greek, and he's translated the Greek into English, and his book on Revelation was happened to be one of the best ever. And Dr. Metzger would say right off the beginning, it has been the most abused book throughout the centuries in the Bible, the most abused of all. Pastors have totally missed the purpose of this book. So many have. The purpose of this book is to encourage first century Christians persecuting. They're mounting persecution. And it's to encourage them to keep the faith, to not give up, to see their way through. It is a book of encouragement. Just a few examples, and I, I could go through the book one after the next. But in the first chapter, for instance, John has a vision of the risen Christ. Jesus is alive. John is on the island of Patmos. I've been there. It's a crummy little island. And, and John was taken off there. It was like Alcatraz, like a prison where he's... And he had this vision there. And the beginning of the vision is Christ is alive. Jesus is alive. He lives. That's the first and most important thing to see in the book. And in this vision, Jesus says to John... Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. I mean, the first thing Jesus says is do not be afraid. So why would we use the book to make people afraid? Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. In the second chapter, the risen Christ says, do not fear. 
what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Uh, when I grew up, at, and this isn't in the text for our sound people, but um, when I grew up at a Presbyterian church on Lifelong Presbyterian, our Sunday school uh, had, in every one of our Sunday school classes, the same picture. You know, you think they could have picked some different pictures in different rooms, but it was the same picture. How many of you know or could pick, and, and I, I should have given a slide for this, of Jesus standing at a door and knocking. Anybody go back to that picture as a classic one of your childhood? Well, that scene is from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, uh, I will come into him and he with me and sup with me. That beautiful verse, I stand at the door. That's the book of Revelation. And then in the 11th chapter. By the way, the, the ladies did a great job bringing Handel alive for us this morning a few moments ago. Uh, I think they did it exactly the way Handel wrote it, and it was beautiful. The kingdom of the world, chapter 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. And I think most of you know that comes, that's the hallelujah chorus. For 26 consecutive years at First Presbyterian Church, we finished our Easter services with a hundred-voice choir and orchestra and everybody standing singing the Hallelujah Chorus every Easter. And I wonder how many people realize we're finishing the most joyful service in the life of the church Easter morning with a passage from the book of Revelation. I hope you're beginning to get the theme here that the book has been often so misused. There are images that are concerning, images of what life can be like. But the story is do not be afraid. Trust the Lord. The Lord is with you. Be faithful and you will receive the crown of life. Now, the important theological message here is that the book of Revelation rejects the theological view of dualism. Let me spell it, D-U-A-L-I-S-M, dualism. Dualism is this theological belief that the cosmos is in this great horrific battle and there are two great equal powers doing battle. You know, go to the good Star Wars movies, you know, and you've got the force that may be with you and you've got something else and this great battle is going on and we don't know who's going to win. That's dualism. That's not the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there is one God. All-powerful, all-powerful. This God will win. This God will prevail. Whatever the circumstances may be of tribulation that we journey through at any given time, know this, God is in control. God is on the throne. And uh, I love, by the way, I love so many contemporary music songs. It's a wonderful part of our life. But some of those traditional hymns stay in my heart, and I've memorized a lot of those lines as much as I've memorized Scripture. And who among us doesn't know that verse? This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. In the book of Revelation, God is on the throne. God is in control. The lamb is there. Praise be to God. You have nothing to fear ultimately. Be faithful. Dualism is wrong. There are not two great equal powers in the cosmos in a horrific battle. There is one God, all-powerful, who will prevail. And of course, the book of Revelation, if I went on, speaks of eternal judgment. It's in the hands of the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. Creation has fallen, but creation will be renewed. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. The home of God is among mortals, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And then one of my favorite passages, and I did try to look, you know, Google images, uh, one image of this one, but it's from the book, the seventh chapter of the book of Revelation. And why it's so important to me, I, I know Paul and Marsha Woodruff are, are members here, and I was in a Rotary Club with Paul, and uh, Beverly and I have hosted 16 youth exchange students through the years. We have uh, young people now who live in India and Taiwan and Austria and Sweden and Mexico and Norway who call us mom and dad. And now their kids call us their American grandma and grandpa, you know, of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And it's a great joy. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And uh, here's just one rendering. Go to Google Images and pull up. I, I like this image better than the last one you saw, the horseman or the, you know. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, Every, I mean, the word is every, this great diversity of people in heaven. If you think there's only a small group of Calvinistic Presbyterians up there, you're wrong. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. What a beautiful image and what a beautiful passage. They in glory shine. These are those who have gone through the ordeal, the ordeal of this life, the ordeal of whatever. And they've washed their robes with the blood of the lamb and they have palm branches in their hand, which is also a good image. Those of you who love the beach, they've got palm, there must be a beach in heaven somewhere. They've got all those palm branches up there. We'll finish the service today with For All the Saints, one of my favorite hymns ever written. And there's a line in For All the Saints, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. And as I'm thinking about this as kind of a, a gathering together, my being with you Mother's Day, my being with you Father's Day, uh, God bless all the moms and dads who are with us now, but many of them have been long gone, like my mom and dad. But I stand here with a full affirmation, they in glory shine. That verse in the hymn, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. At first press, when things weren't going right, when we messed up here or there, I'd always look at the staff and they knew exactly what I was going to say. We feebly struggle. I think they got tired of me saying that sometimes. We feebly struggle. That's the way we do the best we can, but we feebly struggle. I love that verse. But they, they in glory shine. And so just a few, I, I, I've got a couple of examples here of they and glory shine of people of faith who have inspired me along the way with that absolute confidence, con confidence that they and glory shine. And it's a diverse little group of folks here. The first is a young Amish woman, uh, Esther Schmucker. Now, my mother and father-in-law lived in the little village of Clay uh, near Ephrata in Lancaster County. On Sunday afternoons, we would be with them and we would walk uh, all through the neighborhood and we would walk right through the Schmucker farm. Uh, the house, uh, their home was on one side of Brubaker Road. The dairy barn was on the other side of the road. 
One day, uh, Esther was in the milking barn with the, with the cows, and her five-year-old son David came in. He was talking, horsing around, having a good time. Uh, before he left, he did something which she writes in her book, Good Night, My Son. Uh, Esther wrote a book. An Amish woman wrote a book. And uh, this, I don't have this down in my text, but uh, the bishop didn't like the fact that she wrote a book. Didn't like it at all, and they had to move to Indiana. Uh, Esther and her family. But anyways, Esther's in the, in the barn, and David's there, and she says, quite unusually, he for some reason came over and gave us the biggest hug and said, I love you, Mommy. I love you, Mommy. And then he went running off, and then she heard the screeching tires, the bang, and she ran out to the road, and there David had been hit by a car. It was a teenager who was driving way too fast on Brubaker Road with its bends. And uh, she ran right over to David, held, her, held him in her arms. And she says in her book, I, I knew immediately he was gone. And the boy who hit him was, was out of the car. He had stopped. God bless him, stopped. But he's running around saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm going to go to jail. I'm sorry, I'm going to go to jail. He's so distraught. And she laid David down, went over to him and, and held the boy and said, you are not going to jail. You were an instrument of God. This was God's will. Amish theology, I, I think to some degree more Calvinist than Calvin himself. But I share that with you as her, the book, and it's, a, it's available on Amazon. It's a very fascinating read story of just up the road from us of Esther Schmucker, who in her deep faith, her background of her training, believed that this event, the death of her son, was somehow the very will of God. And she simply could trust her son David into the arms of God. And I had talked with uh, Esther many times after this absolute confidence that David was in heaven by the blood of Christ and that they would meet again. And I'm sure Esther with us today could sing that last hymn and say, they in glory shine. David is in glory and he is shining. Esther Smucker. The second person uh, that I've had the chance to meet and know in my life is uh, Reverend Dr. William Sloan Coffin. I mentioned I'm a lifelong Presbyterian. What I loved about the Presbyterian church was how diverse we were. I mean, one of my favorite friends passed away was uh, Lloyd John Ogilvie, uh, pastor of uh, First Presbyterian Church, Hollywood Presbyterian Church. One, he's written, I've read every book that, that uh, Lloyd has written, a uh, wonderful evangelical Presbyterian pastor, a delight. He became the senator of the chaplain of Washington, D.C. I got to meet with him there and have a tour. A wonderful guy. He was on the West Coast. On the East Coast at Riverside Church was the Reverend William Sloan Coffin, a social activist, the most liberal edge of our church that there could be. But what a saint Bill was. A wonderful person of deep faith. And his son Alex died. His son Alex was in a bad car accident. And just a few weeks after that accident, Bill stood in the pulpit of Riverside Church, New York City, and preached a sermon titled, My Son Beat Me to the Grave. And I thank Marsha Woodruff. She sent me a copy of this sermon when we had gone through a similar tragedy in our family. And what a wonderful sermon it is. That The night after his son died, a person came to the home with, with food, kind of helping out, probably one of the deacons of the church. But she said something that upset Bill. She said, I just don't understand the will of God. And Bill immediately began to respond to her. He said, 
Do you think it was the will of God that Alex never fixed that lousy windshield wiper of his? That he was probably driving too fast in such a storm? That he probably had a couple of frosties too many? Do you think it is God's will that there are no street lights along that stretch of road and no guardrails separating the road and Boston Harbor? All those choices that Bill would say were contrary to the will of God. Bill continues, the one thing that should never be said when someone dies is, it is the will of God. Never do we know enough to say that. My consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, that when the waves closed over the sinking car, God's was the first of all our hearts to break. Theologically, the exact opposite of Esther Schmucker. But where are they the same? I, I had a wonderful chance. One of the occasions I got to be with Bill Coffin, he was preaching lectures, phenomenal lectures over at Westchester University. And we met and we had some time together. And Bill absolutely is certain that his son Alex, by the grace of God's in heaven, that he's shining there and that they will meet again by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bill has that absolute faith that they in glory shine. Though the theology, quite different than Esther. Bill and Esther, however, both know that their loved ones in glory shine, that they're part of that, that great sea of every tribe and every nation and every tongue around the throne, praising God because they in glory shine. And one last, one last story. Kelly Clem, Reverend Kelly Clem, United Methodist pastor, uh, I was watching TV, it was uh, the week before Easter, between Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, that the news that I watched then was Peter Jennings, ABC World News Tonight, and I like Peter Jennings, really nice Canadian guy, and uh, unfortunately he's no longer with us. But I was watching the news and he was interviewing a pastor from Goshen United Methodist Church, Piedmont, Alabama, because on Palm Sunday of that week, a tornado had hit that church. And the tornado killed 20 people in the church on Palm Sunday, including many of them children who were actually singing a Palm Sunday anthem the moment the tornado hit. Horrible to think of. And of those many children who were killed, one was the pastor's four-year-old daughter, Hannah. And so Kelly Clem, United Methodist pastor of Goshen United Methodist Church, Piedmont, Alabama, experienced the death of her daughter, Hannah, on Palm Sunday while Hannah was singing a Palm Sunday hymn, Peter Jennings was interviewing her. She was brave and bold enough to be right there being interviewed. And Peter, at the end of the interview, said, are you going to have Easter services? She said, oh, yes, yes. Another church was uh, welcoming them to use their building for Easter services. He said, are you going to preach? And she said, yes. And Peter said, what are you going to say, Kelly? And it's one of those rare live moments on television where the heart of Peter Jennings and the heart of Kelly Clem was for the whole nation to see. What are you going to say, Kelly? And I've written down exactly what she said. I will tell everyone that I thank God for the four years God gave us with Hannah. They were wonderful years. Because of Easter, I know we will be together again. Ah, the book of Revelation. Somehow, Mother's Day, Father's Day, those who are no longer with us, 
to celebrate the joy of moms and dads to be sure who are here. But for so many of us whose moms and dads are gone, we need to be able to cherish the fact that God is in control, God is in charge. The Lord gave his life for those uh, whose sins must be forgiven. That includes all of us. And that though we feebly struggle and we continue to struggle, day and glory shine. And I want you to be thinking this morning about that great scene where people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue are about the throne, where God is on the throne, God is in control, and the Lamb is right there. And they are praising God. We feebly struggle. Day and glory shine. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for the Bible. The beginning for men tells an incredible history of people who often turn the wrong way. Mighty God, we are so grateful that this story includes your hand, that providential hand guiding people of old through sea and across rivers and over mountains, through turbulent times, through gain of nation and loss of nation. But your hand has ever been moving, active, and involved in the affairs of this world. We confess that it's our decisions to sometimes do the things we should not do and often to fail to do the things we should that create such alarm and despair and pain and sorrow. But your hand is ever there to lift us up. That resurrection power is at every turn and every corner. Mighty God, we sit here before you this day knowing that we do not understand all things. We do not comprehend all things. We, we accept the fact that your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. But mighty God, we are thankful that in and through our lives, you continue to work your wonders. That miracles are everyday things. And we're so grateful this day to be here, to praise you, to listen to beautiful music, to shake hands with dear friends, and to be reminded again that you are in control, that there is one God, all-powerful, all-knowing, and that your hand is alive and active in our lives. Lord, forgive us when we do those things we should not, when we fail to do the things we should, and guide us in the way that is of righteousness and peace. Mighty God, we pray for all fathers this day and for families, for there to be health and goodness, for there to be love. Mighty God, we pray for those families where things are not right. And may your hand be upon them to guide them in ways to find the healing and the hope that is ever present. Mighty God, we thank you for this wonderful church, for its uh, doors that are wide open and fully accessible, uh, for the joy of all who gather here. And we pray that this is a place that continues to be uh, a, a, a place of a dear family of God that loves one another as brothers and sisters in faith. We pray for Pastor Jonathan, a sabbatical. Uh, we pray for folks in this congregation who need the healing hand of the great physician, Jesus Christ, whether their pain or sorrowness is a body of mind or of spirit. May you bring your healing touch. And mighty God, as we go for this, this day, uh, let us recognize that, yes, we feebly struggle. But assure us in our hearts again, just like little David or Alex or Hannah, that they in glory shine. 
And we do look forward to that day of a glad heavenly reunion. And for the fact that the Bible from the beginning to end is a story of good news, we thank you for good news once more on yet another Sunday to send us forth in your spirit and in your strength. And we pray now as our Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now before we go on, in the middle of the prayer, I remembered uh, prayer shawls. And I was asked before the service, uh, the third Sunday of the month, we bless the prayer shawls. And I told that person, uh, I'll do it if I remember. But I'm getting older. And so will you pray with me? Loving God, we thank you for all the ministers of the church that touch people with love in so many ways for our deacons and elders and officers who take forth your good, loving hand. We pray for the prayer shawl ministry of this church, for those who take the time to work and make these prayer shawls as these prayer shawls are given to people uh, journeying through challenges in their life. May it truly be a blessing and an extension of the love of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, bless this shawl and any other prayer shawls that are made uh, to an intended purpose of lifting persons' hearts to your love, O God, and to the healing touch of Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray, amen. Thank you all. God bless you.